0: Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're starting this series on Game On, and we wanted to bring you in on this so you could be a part of it, because I think if you and I don't think, that the Word of God is so relevant to everything we do, then we are mistaken, right? I want to read a very familiar verse to you, and you can look at the screens or pick up your Bible. Isaiah 55, and this is verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts... Than your thoughts. Now, when you read that, you think, well, how would I ever, ever, ever begin to think like God or even understand what God is even about or what his preference is or what he wants for my life? But let's throw this verse alongside of it Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his past. Would you agree with me that your mind has to be transformed to think how God thinks and to know what God begins to know as we find this revelation of who God is and how he relates to us and how he works in our life. So will we ever figure everything out about God? Absolutely not. I think when you get to heaven you'll still be finding things out about God throughout eternity. How many of you believe that? That's how awesome God is. But we can begin to know him and know his ways or know his game plan that he has had from the beginning of creation. Do you know the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the earth? Do you know that God has things that he's already put into place and put into motion? God has a game plan. And guess what? It's not yours. And it's not mine. So, therefore, I have to get into the game plan of God for my life to be successful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Help us to understand your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here today. A man was looking at a huge, large oak tree. And he asked this question. He said, I wonder why watermelons grow on a little bitty green tender vine, but God has little bitty acorns grow on big, huge oak trees. Then when an acorn hit his head, he figured it out. <laughs> God's ways are not our ways. I do know his ways are better than our ways. Well, we can know God's ways. I know Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, he said his ways are past finding out. I think what Paul is saying, we'll always be understanding the ways of God and searching the ways of God and being revealed the ways of God. We're not going to understand God. Listen, if, if, if I understood everything about God, he wouldn't be God. We have a God so much bigger than us, so much greater than us, that we're in a revelation series every day, understanding God the great things of God. So God has a game plan. He's had it from the beginning. It's an unfolding game plan. It's a revelatory game plan. And from the foundation of the earth, he has been showing us his way and his plan to us. I brought this article. This is by Pat Kerwin of the NFL. He said, a coach's master playbook contains about a thousand different plays. Pretty much anything he would ever consider calling in the game. Every bomb, every blitz, every blocking scheme is in there somewhere along with every gadget play and every goal line scenario. And every call has its roots somewhere in that all-encompassing Bible which he has, which is every coach is uh, uh, playing forever, adding to and carrying on and carrying with him from job to job. Have you ever seen a coach on the sideline and he's got all the plays that he's listed out in the game plan, and when he sends it in, either by microphone to the guy who has the headset, or by cards or different schemes they have on the sideline. Have you ever seen some of the, the, the big cards they hold up on the sideline? They absolutely make no sense. They have different numbers and pictures, and there may be a picture of a star or a dog or an alligator. I mean you never know what it is. But you know the players on the field, they know what that is. And when he's calling the play and have you ever seen them do this? They're calling the play and they 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 got their mouth covered up. You ever wonder why they did that? They are so desperate to win. They have r- lip readers. Is this a revelation to some of you? <laughs> they have lip readers. That literally are trying to get every advantage they can get to win the game. Now you and I are in a game called the Game of Life. And listen, this is more than a game, this is reality. And listen, we, we, we want to stay in this game. We we don't want to get voted off the island, do we? We want to stay where we should be. So, one of the things that we do is we understand how the Word of God relates this to things that we understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you want to follow along with us, you can get your Bible or look at the screens. Paul is a classic example of how he takes the Christian life and he identifies it with what we understand through sports. Now, I want you to read with me along look at this verse 24 do you not know that those who run in a race all run but only one receives the prize run in such a way that you may win everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath or crown but we an imperishable one therefore I run in such a way as not without aim I box in such a way as not beating the air so immediately Paul says we're in a race we're in a match we're boxing we're competing we're exercising and this is in some way our Christian experience why is he giving us this terminology because the people who's writing to and he's speaking to understands what he's saying most of you know in 776 BC the Olympic Games started in Olympia Greece it was a five-day event And let me describe what those five days were. Day number one, the judges and the participants gathered together for a feast, for a banquet, and they covered all the rules. These are the rules. These are the guidelines. These are the parameters of the games. This is how you do this and this and this and this and this and this. this. Do you know what the penalty was if they broke the rules? They literally beat them and whipped them. Goodness gracious don't jump off sides <laughs> we're gonna strip you down tie you up to the goalpost and take a whip and whip you that's what they did in antiquity when you broke the rules so day one they they go they take an oath we're gonna respect the rules there were processions trumpet players announcements day two the equestrian uh, the the horse events equestrian events took place there was the four horse chariot races. has you ever seen Ben Hur so they had chariot races they had horse races where people rode on the horses they had young chariot horse races in the afternoon the pentathlon took place five events discus throw, long jump, javelin, running, wrestling many of you have heard me tell the story when I was in high school I set the long jump record in our school my brother Steve who's back here he went to that school and was a coach and a teacher for a while, and I asked him years later, I said, do I still hold the long jump record for our high school? He said, no, Mike, I think some girl broke it. <laughs> That's a letdown, isn't it? So if you had any pride, there it goes. So discus throw, long jump, javelin throw, running, wrestling. Th- that's day two. Day three was when they sacrificed animals to their pagan gods and they feasted along with the uh, participants, the crowd, and the spectators. Day four was the foot races that took place in the stadium. There was the stadium race about 192 meters. They would run the length of the stadium. There was a De- loose which was two links to the stadium, the Dola which was either four to 24 laps, depending on the time, about a three-mile run. Then there was the race in arms. They put on the helmet. They had the shield. They had the grease, which was the uh, protecting from the chin down to the feet. And they ran with some of their armament on, and it was called the race of arms. And then in the afternoon, they did the combatant sports. There was boxing, boxing, wrestling, and the pancreas, uh, the pancretation the pancretation is kind of a, a funny Greek word. The, there was only about three rules in this last fight. You couldn't gouge their eyes out, you couldn't stick your fingers up their nose or hurt them in their genitals. That was the only three rules. You know what I thought when I heard that? This is cage fighting. You can punch, you can wrestle, you can grapple, you can choke, you can kick, you can do anything, but those three things. Everything else is legal. So those were the events they had on that day. Day five, the final day, was reserved for honoring the winners and the victors. They covered them with ribbons. You ever wonder why we got ribbons? They covered them with ribbons. They gave them wreath crowns and they crowned them on their heads it was the stadium where they gave palms out to those who were victorious they had a celebration they had a banquet it was given for the judges the politicians those who were winners the victors and they had these crown olive wreaths so when Paul says we are running for a prize we're gonna get crowned we're gonna get a Wreath, he says they do it for a perishable crown. We're doing it for an imperishable crown. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now notice this. Go go along with me. Look at these verses. This is what we know in observations. Number one, we are in a race. You're in a race. We are looking to win a prize. We're going to obtain a prize. We have to exercise self-control, verse 25, to accomplish this. We receive the crown or the wreath. Verse 26, we're running to a goal. This is what Paul says. He says, I'm not running without aim or focus. We have aim. We're headed somewhere. We have a goal. I'm not just shadow boxing. You've you, you seen somebody just kind of boxing around? He says, we're not shadow boxing. We have a real adversary. We have a real enemy we're fighting against. We have competition. Folks, would you like to ever, ever watch a game without a goal. How boring would that be? No goal line, no goal rim, no soccer goal. You say, what are they doing out there? I don't know, they're just running around in the middle of the field. How boring would that be? You and I have a goal, we're headed somewhere, we're going to accomplish that goal by the grace of Almighty God, and Paul begins to give the game plan of how we do that. Let me go a little bit further in this. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse five. He says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Different translation. If any man contends in the games, he's not crowned unless he's contending lawfully. If he competes, he's not crowned unless he competes lawfully. Three different translations. What's he saying? you got to play by the rules. What's the rules? These are the rules. These are the rules. It's not culture's rules. It's not the preacher's rules. It's not the pastor's rules. It's not the domination rules. This is the rules. Come on, I deserve a better amen than that. These are the rules. These aren't horrible rules. These are good parameters to live your life by. This is the game book. This is the game plan. So we have to have a game plan. And in this game plan, Paul is saying, this is what you're in. This is 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. He says, I finished my course. I'm in a race. I'm in a fight. And he says, when I finish this, there's a crown laid up for me. He's writing these letters, many of them, to the church at Corinth. Everybody say Corinth at Corinth they had another set of games that was held in between the four-year Olympic games it was called the isthmus games so now you have the Olympic games every four years in between you had the isthmus games so when Paul writes about fighting and running and boxing and wrestling guess what he's doing he's writing about things they're very aware of he's saying let me tweak your natural experience and show you what this is like in the spiritual dimensions we are running we are fighting we are wrestling we are boxing it's not in the natural but it is in the spirit and this is what is going on in our life Hebrews 12, the writer picks it up again and says, verse 1 and 2, seeing that we're compassed by so great a cloud of witnesses. What's he described? He's described the grandstands. We're on the field. We're fighting the fight. We're wrestling the wrestling. We're running the race. We're on the course. And he says, in the grandstands of eternity, there are people watching you fight this good fight of faith. They're watching. Now, he goes on to say, and and this is so interesting to me, he says not only are there spectators about the race that we're in, he says, but we must put off everything that hinders us or everything that would uh, cause us to stumble or everything that would entangle us in running this race. Have you ever seen a picture of the runners... On a piece of pottery, or some ancient thing that they found of them running the race in those ancient games. They are buck naked. Can you say that in church? Let I me mean, look it up. Why is Paul using this analogy? Because they knew that those runners stripped themselves. Of everything so that they could do what? Run the race better. So here Paul is, or the writer of Hebrews is, says this. If you're going to run this race, every sin, every weight that would beset you, you got to get it off of you. Why? Because you're not going to run very good if it's on you. If you watch a track and field event now, they don't have much on either. I mean, sometimes they'll even embarrass you on it. Why did they run in such skimpy clothes? Because they want to lay aside every weight, everything that would entangle them or keep them from running the very best race that they could run. And so the writer picks this up and says, that's what we do. And he also says, we got to keep our eye on the goal and we got to keep our eye. Don't you appreciate singing about Jesus today? We're keeping our eye on the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ what's he saying we gotta keep our eye on the one who started us in this race and the one who's gonna be there at the finish line when we end this race so why would you say that because when you cross the finish line what's he gonna do he's gonna meet you there and say well done thou good and faithful servant I'm about to preach myself happy already so from all these verses let me give you some observations there's a way There's a race, there's a fight, there's competition, there's adversaries, we have to have self-control, we're headed to the goal or the finish line, we have to lay aside everything that's gonna hinder us from running the race, we've gotta play by the rules, and when we do, we win the prize. What's the prize? Eternal life, heaven, with Jesus Christ. That's good, amen? So, what's your game plan? What's my game plan? I said all that just to get to the sermon, okay? I got another hour or two to go, right? Not really. So three things. You've got to get in the game. You've got to get on track. I've got to get on track. I cannot always stay on the sideline. I found out even if you're a believer, you can stay on the sideline. When I was in junior high, our team went undefeated. We had a very good team. I moved up as a sophomore. How many of you know what it's like to be a sophomore? I mean you're low on the totem pole. You're very uh, I guess uh, maybe intimidated by everybody. Would that be a good word? So we're playing It's like the second game. Maybe the third. And so I wasn't starting and Marlowe back in the Stone Age ran the the single wing. Does anybody know what the single wing is? And this is what we affectionately called the single wing. It was student body left and student body right. So I was kinda linebacker, defensive end type person and uh, as you can tell by my build I was just the skinny uh, fast guy. (laughs) But uh, I'm standing on the sideline. I'm a sophomore. I'm not starting. We're playing Marlowe, and they would run everybody around the end, and we just couldn't stop them. So the coach walked over to me, and I'm standing on the sideline. My, my suit is completely clean. <laughs> I haven't been in the grass, haven't been in the mud, completely clean. And he reached over, and he grabs you. How do you remember when coaches used to do things they could not get by with today? Come on. <laughs> so he reaches over and he grabs me right in the center of my shoulder pads and he he yanks me over and gets right in my grill and he says McCord he said can you go in there and stop them and my sophomore guys are about this big and I said I don't know I'll try so I ran in I'm playing kinda outside linebacker or defensive end and so when they would come around my way I would just sacrifice my body And just get right in the mix. And from that game, I started, you know, every other game for the rest of of high school. But let me tell you, when you get in from the sideline, everything changes. The view of the game changes. Your experience changes. The knots on your head changes. (laughs) Your bruises change. People now look at you. Before, you were over there drinking water standing by the cheerleaders. Some of you are still by the cheerleaders. <laughs> so, when you get on course, you get on track, you get into the game, the whole thing now begins to change. Your view of the game changes because you're not just at the sideline looking. You're right in the middle of the fray, and people have targets lasered on you. Somebody's looking to knock you off. So you've got to get on track. You've got to get on course. And folks, there is a course. Do you know that our course is narrow? And the gate to get on the course is narrow, according to Scripture. NASCAR has a track. Horses run on the track. Trains run on the track. Dogs run on the track. Christians got to get on track. We got to get on course, right? So what does it mean? It means the course is prepared. It's a way for us, right? It means that there's the right trajectory where you ought to aim, right course of action. You gotta be on schedule, on purpose, making progress, gotta be as planned, right direction, and we can do that. And immediately you're gonna say, wait, 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 wait. I've been off track so long I can't get back on track. No, listen, the grace of God is so great that you and I can get on track. We can get on course, we can get off the sideline, and even if you failed miserably. God's grace is so wonderful that you can get back on track. Can I hear an amen? What you do is you take that failure, you take that past, and you reset your focus not on what you were or what you've done or who you were. You reset your focus on the love and the grace of Almighty God who can forgive that if you repent and get you back where you should be. Give the Lord a hand. Come on. Let's thank the Lord for that. Thank God that He can do that for us. That He can get us back on track. We can repent and refocus. And here, here's the obvious we all started off track, we all started on the sideline. But because of the grace and the love of God, He wants you to be a part of what He's doing. And He's doing it not just for Him, He's doing it for us, right? So we got to get on of course, we got to get on track. Here's number two you've got to set some goals you've got to have some dreams some vision where are we headed there's a goal line down at the other end there's a rim up here 10 feet high that's the goal there is this net thing at the end that's the goal we're trying to kick the ball into the goal we're trying to get the ball through the hoop in the goal we're trying to run it across the line across the goal line right there are some goals that you should have now Habakkuk 2 and 2 very clear Habakkuk has this dialogue with God God what are you doing why are you doing this and then he says in chapter 2 he says now I'm gonna get back on my post go back to my watchtower go back on the rampart and I'm gonna see what God says to me this is what God said to him verse 2 write the vision make it plain on tablets that he who may run that he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. So what did he say? Write down the vision. Make it very plain. Read it as you run. There's timing involved, and the vision or the goal will speak to you as you journey through it. That's basically what God said to the prophet. Now, why have goals? Someone said this. The trouble with not having a goal is you can spend your entire life running up and down the field and you never score. You're, 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 you're just busy. You're doing all these things. So what do goals do to us or for us? I'm going to give you five things very quickly. Goals give us guidelines and direction. Goals will help you direct your life. They move us forward and give us focus. They become stepping stones to greater things. They break it down into manageable steps. I get through this goal, I can set a new goal. I can get through this goal, I can go forward. Number four, goals help us be accountable because they can be measured. They're measurable. Number five, they help determine our priorities. What's my priority? Now, your attention, please. Sometimes, as you get older, I'm probably older than most people here, not as old as some of you. What happens sometimes in our life, we quit setting goals. Well, you know, I'm older, so I don't have any more goals. What happens is we lose focus, we kind of get out here in the ozone, and we don't get a laser focus or we don't have any focus at all. And sometimes the focus may not just simply be about you, maybe it's about your children. Maybe it's about your grandchildren. Maybe it's about the legacy you want to leave for those who are coming behind you. Everybody needs to always have some goals. So if we don't have goals, we're in activity, but we're not accomplishing a lot of things in our life. Zig Ziglar said, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. You actually become something. God does something with you on your journey. Do you know who Michael Phelps is? I mean, he's the most decorated Olympian in history, bar none. Now, whether you like him or you, you don't, I'm just saying he's the most decorated Olympian. This is what he said. He said, I think goals should never be easy. They should force you to work even if you are uncomfortable at the time. Why? They're, they're moving you forward. They're, they're pressing you. So, three things Number one, what are your personal goals? Do you have some personal goals? Lose weight? Get fit? Eat better? Okay, don't go there, Pastor. Okay. (laughs) Finish school, get the degree, sharpen your skills, become a better communicator. Everybody here should have some type of personal goals. Maybe you want to learn another language. What are your financial goals? What are your business goals? Do you have some financial goals? Do you have some business goals? Are they measurable? Are you going to work harder? Are you going to work more efficient? Are you going to show up on time? Are you going to work late? Are you going to save? Are you going to curb your spending? Are you going to invest more? Are you going to give more? Are you going to understand the law of sowing and reaping? Do you know what the Lord said? My ways are not your ways. When you talk about sowing and reaping, immediately our culture doesn't understand that at all. Let me tell you why. Because it is so carnal that it doesn't understand spiritual precepts. How in the world could you sow and expect more to get back? It would seem obvious if we keep all of it we'd have more. Not in this kingdom. If you're a farmer or a rancher or you know anything about agriculture, everyone knows the principle. But we are not in an agrarian society anymore. I don't know if kids even know where milk comes from now. Sure, it comes from Walmart, and Brahms, and IGA, Kroger's, but in the agrarian society when the law of sowing and reaping has been taught, they fully understand it, that what you sow, you'll receive multiple more times that you receive, but if you don't know His ways, if you don't know the game plan, sometimes you destine yourself to always 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 struggle because you don't understand the law of sown and reaping. So you need to have personal business plans, financial plans, corporate plans. What about your family and your marriage plans? Anybody got any family or marriage plans? And don't say my plan is not to get in trouble with my wife, okay? That's a good plan, but that's not the plan I'm talking about. So do you have some family and marriage plans? Are you needing to work through some difficult challenges? Is there somebody that needs to repent? Is there somebody that needs to offer reconciliation? Do you need a date night? Do you need to spend more time with your children? Do you need to discipline more? Do you need to maybe spend more time with a vacation? Or time off. I mean, all these things are very, very important. Do you need to improve your communication skills more than uh huh? <laughs> so, what are your family and your marriage goals? So, you should have personal goals, you should have business financial goals, you should have family marriage goals. Everybody say amen. amen. So, are we gonna have a game plan? For any of these things, now here's the last thing, third thing, we have to be willing in our game plan to face the adversity that we face. It would be foolish to line up on the line or to receive the ball or to back up and throw the pass or to kick the soccer ball down the field or to dribble down the court and expect nobody to try to stop you. If you're in sports and you're thinking that, you are in la, 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 la land. <laughs> because there's somebody across the line that wants to stop your progress. You remember the, the great tackle, Rayfield Ryan, who was inducted into the Football Hall of Fame? He told this story, true story. He said, I didn't believe in myself and kind of had a low self-image. And he said, Tom Landry helped me. Coached me up, made me believe in myself. And he said, I started with the Dallas Cowboys as a tackle. I'm on the front line. And he said, the first game that I played, the other Hall of Fame guy, Deacon Jones, who played for the Los Angeles Rams, lined up right across from me. And he said, I'm already nervous. And I'm down getting ready to block Deacon Jones. And he looks through his face mask at my eyes across the line. And he said this to me, Boy, does your mama know you out here? Would that not make you nervous? There's an adversary. It's the enemy that wants to kill steal and destroy. And we're facing these challenges every day. And guess what? There's an adverse wind that's always blowing your way. Always, always. It may lighten up to five miles an hour some days. and Some days it feels like the hurricane. Some days you feel it so strong. Some days it gives you a little reprieve. But every day of your life, there is an adverse wind blowing your way. Do you remember when Paul was sailing to Rome and they were taking him? And he used this line in the book of Acts, and the winds were contrary to us. Sometimes the wind's contrary. Sometimes it doesn't go the way you think it should. Sometimes you stumble. Sometimes you fall. Sometimes you meet that big adversary. Sometimes you're trying to, to run the race and fight the fight, and it's not going as well as you think it should. When we were in school, some of you will relate to this so clearly, we would go out for track and field, and usually we were good at about one thing. But the coach would always fill his full agenda and put you in every event to fill it up with everybody. So I did pretty good jumping. I was a high jumper and a long jumper. And I was not a runner. And our coach would always put Johnny Pat and I in the 880 run. Now the people who actually ran the 880 ran it as a sprint. It was two times around the track. Now it's the 800 meters. They would shoot the gun off, and they would start running, and they were so trained and skilled at it, they they ran it like a race. We run it because we're the doofuses that the coach put us in just to fill up the event card. And our race was always who would not come in last. We always ran to see who would not come in last and I remember one time the coach was setting up in the bleachers and we, we finished our race we went up and said what was our time and this was his little funny comment he said I don't know the sun went down and I didn't catch it on my sundial <laughs> now that's slow if you're timing it with the su- sundial but it makes no difference in what fight what wrestling match what boxing match or what race you're in there's always a contrary wind or an adversary that's blowing against you. I was at a conference a few years ago and and I thought about this from the story that I just told. The speaker said the very same thing that I said, but he said the coach entered me in the hurdles. And he says, I was not a hurdler. I had another event that was good, but he entered us into the hurdles. So He says they had different heats. You know, they have the the A heat and the B or the C or the D or the 1, 2, 3, and 4. So the fastest ones they put in A, the next fastest one they put in B, and the next ones they put in C, and the slow guys they put in D. So he says, I'm in D heat because I'm not a hurdler. So he says... The gun goes off. He says about four, five, six guys of us on the line. We we, we have the track in front of us. The hurdles are made out. He said, I get to the first hurdle. My foot catches the hurdle, and I sprawl out on the track. So embarrassed. I couldn't even make the first hurdle. But he said, the crowd began to cheer. Get up. Get up. You can do it. You can make it. He said, it's almost like chariots of fires playing in the background. (laughs) So I thought, well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go on. They're cheering to get up. But he said, when I looked around, he said, every runner fell at the first hurdle. (laughs) He said, it wasn't just me. We're all laying down on the track. So they're all saying, get up. I'd love to tell you, in the race, the fight, the wrestling match, you will never, ever fall down. But I'd be lying to you. You're going to get tripped up. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to get in a wrestling match and the adversary is going to try to choke you out. Don't tap out. His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. His grace and his love is so powerful that if you fall flat on your face, though a righteous man falls seven times, he can still keep getting up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That somebody like me and somebody like you can actually finish this race. But you can't finish it if you don't get in it. And once you get in it, the Lord has a game plan. And he's got one specifically for you. There's a general one that includes all of us. But he knows the thoughts that he thinks toward you. The thoughts of peace to give you an expected ending. He wants you to finish the race and finish it well, so that we can impact our culture and impact our world, so that we can glorify the name that we sing about, the name of Jesus. Would you bow your head with me this morning? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at Ray of Hope Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.